Up until recently, we were feeling pretty sorry for anyone with a Perth property in their investment portfolio. Year after year, quarter after quarter, we saw tiny growth percentages or negative growth rates, which look particularly painful when compared to Sydney and Melbourne in those boom years. But it seems like the tide may have turned. Will the patience of those investors be rewarded? Is now the time for opportunistic investors to jump on in? It's all about supply and demand and people get sucked up into, uh, you know, one of the stats I often see uh, people uh, uh, promote is, oh, look, this suburb or this community is the fastest growing. You know, Wanneroo, for example, and developers and <laughs> say it's the fastest growing community in, you know, Western Australia and Australia. Well, that's horrible because that means there's lots of land. I want to buy in an area that's got very struggling to get population growth because that means there's no new supply and not lots. And that's where there's, there's demand there. Uh, it'll, you know, there's no new supply, limited supply, prices will more likely go up. Welcome to The Elephant in the Room. This is the podcast where we love to talk about the big things in property that never usually get talked about. I'm Veronica Morgan, real estate agent, buyer's agent, co-host of Foxtel's Location, Location, Location Australia and author of Auction Ready. And I'm Chris Bates, mortgage broker. Before we get started, I need to let you know that nothing we say on here can be taken as personal advice. We always recommend you engage the services of a professional. Don't forget that you can access the transcript for this episode on the website as well as down Download our free full or forecast report. Which experts can you trust to get it right? Theelephantintheroom.com.au Today we're going to learn about what caused Perth's property to perform so poorly for so long and what makes it so different from the other capital cities. We're joined by Damien Collins, a very well-respected Perth property expert, and he's going to share his local insights and help us understand what factors contribute to growth in that city. Damien is the founder and managing director of Momentum Wealth and chairman of Mayor Property Funds. And having been an active investor himself for over 25 years, Damien continues to apply his extensive experience in property to help fellow investors make successful investments through direct and syndicated property. We will talk a bit about that too. He has served on the REIWA Council since 2011 and was elected president of the Institute in 2018. I must say this episode has been a while in the making and in a way made possible due to COVID since we've had to stop insisting on interviewing person. So thank you so much for joining us today, Damien. Great to be here, guys. Damien, uh, absolute pleasure to have you on. I guess we've been, like Veronica said, this has been uh, one we've been keen to do for a while, but can you give us an example, of, uh, a bit of a history lesson on the Perth market over the last decade or so, or you know, the rise and the fall, I guess, and um, where we are now? Well, I think um, Veronica hit it on the head. You probably feel sorry for people who've uh, been in the Perth market over the uh, over the last decade. It's, it's just been a... Uh, uh, yeah, a, very, a very challenging time. We had uh, prior to the decade, we had a big run up in 03, 07. That was, uh, and that uh, was where we got ahead of ourselves. And uh, and uh, so since 2010, uh, we've really had uh, uh, two parts to the market. So uh, we had a, a reasonable run up uh, from about 2011 through to 2014, and that was driven by the uh, mining construction boom that we had. Uh, if you some of your listeners will. Uh, Remember back, there was uh, 100 billion or so of projects. There was a couple of big gas projects uh, mm. on the go, and uh, and uh, so that brought a lot of people in. At one stage, here, Perth was growing at three percent population growth per annum, really, really strong growth, and uh, and um, and uh, things were on the up. Our median price went up about uh, 15, 16 percent over about uh, two years. So not uh, 
um, not boom time, but very strong uh, conditions. That, uh, um, then we saw um, uh, after the construction boom, uh, we saw a lot of people leave the state. So we went from a population growth of 3% down to about 0.6% uh, coming in mm. 15 down to uh, 2016, 17, 18. And all that was pretty much uh, natural growth we had um, um, for everybody who came in internationally, uh, we had a uh, we had uh, someone to effectively leave the state and go over east. So we were, and yep. uh, and I always say to people, uh, babies don't buy houses. That might uh, might uh, make people shift a house, but it doesn't make a new household formation. <laughs> and sadly, on the other side, when you've got natural growth in the short run, it's also a death that actually brings stock in the market often. It's a um, deceased estate. So. Well, population growth natural in the long run is great for property. In the short run, it doesn't do a whole lot. So, so uh, we had a massive building over boom. We had built thirty thousand houses a year. Is right at the wrong time, as always happens in a property market. But over the last few years, over the last few years, uh, things have changed. The population growth has started to come back, and our mining sector is very strong. And if you're resting in Western Australia, the, uh, even if you're not in a regional town, even if you're in Perth, it's still. Uh, very much a mining town. We're reliant on iron ore, gold, nickel uh, as the key uh, gas as well um, as our key commodities. And uh, and it's ten uh, percent of people are employed in those industries. When you look at all the accountants, the lawyers, all the spin-off services, it's it's still very much a a mining uh, a mining based city. And of course, uh, the mining industry is very strong at the moment. Um, iron ore prices mm. are at uh, um, going very well. The government had a budget surplus, believe it or not, during COVID. COVID. Uh, I think the only one in their country to have it. Um, you're getting a gazillion dollars in royalties and, um, and yep. pe- people are coming back, populations returning. Um, prices are incredibly low, lowest median in the country and uh, we're now back on the improve, which uh, is going to be uh, very nice after a pretty challenging uh, decade that we've had uh, in, in the last, uh, since 2010. So I guess over that decade, what parts of the market kind of really stayed pretty solid and resilient um, and what parts really got smashed over there more than others? Yeah, the ones that uh, stayed the most resilient were the uh, were what you would call, uh, and, and, and having said that, most of Perth would have uh, had some level of downturn, but uh, yep. but uh, the, the ones that held their own the most were definitely those established areas near uh, good schools and uh, infrastructure like tra- like trains, um, uh, freeways. So generally that, uh, that that sort of 500 imp- to a mil, which in Perth is the um, yep. sector of the market. Our median is about 470. So in, in Sydney, obviously 500, you'd be uh, you're in the right at the lower end. But in Perth, 500 above is this top half of the uh, of the market. So that held out reasonably well. But the areas that really got smashed were the apartments in the uh, city and um, anything with oversupply, that's always the uh, risk. And uh, and uh, and particularly the outer suburban areas, the housing yeah. package market, they absolutely got uh, – and they're the people I feel still sorry for. They're a long, long way down. The house and land packages in 2014 cost them $460, $470, 480 uh, they've come back a little bit, but they're still in the in the mid to high three hundreds. They got absolutely caned, and uh, uh, that's uh, why you probably read um, mortgage uh, uh, distressed capital of Australia for a period of time as Bell Divers. That was one of those new areas, and uh, people borrowing ninety five percent just um, underwater gave the keys back in some cases. So, so look, it's all uh, as you guys know. It's about demand and supply, and uh, any areas they can bring on a lot of supply, like new house and land or inner city apartments. Uh, when they bring out that supply, the market turns that they get smashed the most, and that's exactly what happened in this uh, downturn. 
But what about the, the top end, you know, the million plus? Did that really sort of struggle over that last decade? Um, less so. I would say it's – look, it certainly, you certainly didn't see price rises. You did see um, some uh, moderate pullback. But, but we have been in, in an environment where interest rates have been particularly low uh, for a long period of time. Of course, we're now in this incredible environment where they're 2% or even less in some cases. So so there, uh, there wasn't uh, – a lot of the people who, uh, who lost their jobs were in that – mining FIFO sector. So they were the ones who, uh, and maybe not as well educated about money and, um, you know, they bought uh, the jet skis, bought the brand new cars, bought the house as well, and everyone was throwing money at them. I guess in the upper end, people are perhaps a little bit more sophisticated. And uh, so I didn't see a lot of forced selling in the uh, in the upper end market. It was really at the bottom end where people uh, unfortunately hadn't planned ahead and budgeted for, uh, you know, in 30, 40% drop in incomes, which did happen in, in some uh, some cases. So, uh, and and as, as we've come out of the market, the, the top end's been the first to go. That is really yeah. red hot. I'm sure we'll talk about that today, but it's quite red hot at the moment. I'm finding this really interesting because what we're – discussing here or what you've just outlined here is really just a case study in investment fundamentals, isn't it? I mean, you've you've talked about population growth and how that impacts um, property prices. Um, you've talked about um, a town that effectively has one dominant employer. Um, you've talked about the areas that are resilient being those established areas which are near schools and infrastructure and those that got smashed, I think it was a word you mm. used, were, you know, where we're looking at oversupply, apartments, house, land packages, endless, you know, subdivisions and outer suburbs. And also this below median um, fallacy that you hear a lot of investment spruikers bang on about, like you've got to buy below median. And it's like, whoa, why? Um, you know, because there's no reason for that. They, they don't give a reason. It just sounds like, oh, that makes sense. And yet below median, as you're talking about, there, the Perth median house prices in the 400s and all the properties in the 300s are the ones, you know, getting smashed. Um, obviously supply and demand. And then also interestingly enough that the forced sales were not at what a lot of people talk about, you know, that forced sales is going to be where the highest value properties is actually no, it's where the debt is and where the more vol- the, the higher volatility around employment. So you've just sort of outlined every single warning sign that anybody's trying to predict what the market's going to do as a result of COVID anywhere in the country needs to look at. Well, I think, uh, Veronica, you're right. I mean, I think it's, um, and uh, we've certainly, with our, you know, our business buying agency, we've kept well away from the, those areas for the, the exactly the reasons you mentioned. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's all about supply and demand, and people get sucked up into, uh, you know, one of the stats I often see uh, people uh, uh, promote is, oh, look, this suburb or this community is the fastest growing in you know, a Wanneroo, for example, and developers and <laughs> say it's the fastest growing community in, you know, Western Australia and Australia. Well, that's horrible because that means there's lots of land. I want to buy in an area that's got very struggling to get population growth because that means there's no new supply and not lots and that's where there's, there's demand there. Uh, it'll, you know, there's no new supply, limited supply. Prices will more likely go up, but uh, unfortunately, our industry, as we know, in real estate, has been very sell-side driven, and um, and uh, people sell the, the the dream and the story, but uh, in reality, it's uh, uh, you know all that new stuff, and where there's a lot of supply is, is the worst probably investment you can make. Ah, oh, dear, bring it. It's music to our ears. I mean, we're we're banged on about like one of our pet topics that we talk about is Logan in uh, southeast Queensland and that's the same thing it's the, the growth corridor on growth and w- what's growing <laughs> yeah. Lots of new uh, yeah, exactly right so 
you know, 2009, you know, I read your report, which the, you've actually put together a report on the Perth market, which we will include a link in uh, the show notes for anybody who wants to read that report. And and in that report, you mentioned really that really you saw sort of green shoots, if you like, or a turning point happening last year, so in 2019. Um, so what, ha- what was leading to that? What was contributing to that change? Well, I think it was a, a couple of things, uh, Veronica. We had the um, uh, we, we saw the, uh, the the population growth was returning. So, uh, in the twelve months to March twenty twenty, we grew one point five percent in uh, in Western Australia, and that's um, our long run average is one point eight. So, we definitely have been a relatively high population growth city, and. And the, yeah. the, the undersupply, we hadn't been building. Um, our new building starts, um, and I'm talking as a holistic across the city, the new building starts have dropped from 32,000 to 15. So we got rid of all that oversupply, or most of it, that we that we had. And, and people are now looking at it going, gee, it's cheap to buy. I mean, at, uh, certainly early yeah. this year, um, in, uh, in Perth, it was, uh, you look at the uh, CoreLogic figures, you look at the RAIA figures, the median price in Perth is cheaper than Hobart. Cheaper than Adelaide, um, obviously half of the Sydney and or less, and uh, and a long, long way off Melbourne. Now Perth is not a city that should be Sydney and Melbourne level. It's all when you've got five million people in the city, your median's always yeah. That's that's natural, but we certainly shouldn't be uh, cheaper than Hobart and Adelaide. I think we should be somewhere up towards, <laughs> <laughs> towards, up towards Brisbane with two million people, quite a high income. Yeah. It should be somewhere up closer to Brisbane, you know, around the Brisbane mark, you know, and uh, and we've you know a good 10, 15 percent below that. So I think people were getting that sense, and uh, uh, in late twenty nineteen, so we certainly saw the, the high end. The western suburbs in Perth is sort of on the west coast is the premium end of the market because that's the beach side. Yep, uh, mm. like Melbourne and Sydney, but it's east side. So so we found that. Um, those markets really started to uh, to pick up, and uh, and coming into 2020, um, there was certainly a bit of optimism around that transactions were picking up. People were sensing, you know, we're we're pretty much at the bottom, uh, and I was starting to transact. And of course, COVID hit. We dropped from six or seven hundred transactions a week in uh, Western Australia down to uh, 280. For, but it literally, it lasted six weeks. We had had no COVID community transmission um, for months mm. now. Uh, it's life is normal. You wouldn't even know there was a case. You still see signs around saying yeah. this is for no one paying attention. So, uh, so um, uh, it's um, and the mining sector has been, as I say, we're uh, yeah. we're certainly very much based on that. We're not as boom and bust as uh, you know, your, your Port Hedland or your Carrara or your Newman towns, but there is still a very strong mining element. And um, you know, we're going to go the way property values are going to go the way of the mining sector and. In the uh, in the medium and long run, so uh, so uh, and then uh, I think we're really now in some areas. It's uh, um, particularly the high price market. We've got a bit of FOMO. We've got uh, uh, my buyers agents are out and offering going up against two or three offers. So we're trying to get stuff. Uh, we are getting stuff off market uh, where we can. I got back on the tools uh, to help a friend, um, um, and uh, there was uh, was in a you know, premium suburb of Claremont. And uh, represented him, and uh, first week and opened seven offers, and uh, and uh, you know ten percent, fifteen percent over asking. So, so it must seem surreal. <laughs> you must like where were all you people when there was nobody else around? <laughs> I I totally get. It. I I just look. Uh, I, I think we're chatting off here, but I had um, people won't think uh, you're going to be busiest because there's a lot of smart money out there. But there is, uh, I think there's not as much smart money as people think. The smart money no. mm. you buy 
uh, you know, 12, 18 months ago. And, you know, maybe they didn't pick the exact bottom, but they got pretty close. Um, you know, and look, it is still a good time. I mean, we're, you know, we're, our median price is still 15, 20% below where it was four or you know, five or six years ago. So I think there's a reasonable amount of upside to catch up. But in hindsight, you would have bought uh, 12 months ago. But, uh, um, yeah, they weren't around and now, now they're all around. And uh, I've got staff who are trying to buy houses. and uh, and uh, But the confidence is there. And people are just doing their maths and they're going, you know, with the median, uh, if you, even if you borrow four hundred thousand, whether it be for a home or investment, the uh, um, the interest payments are two hundred dollars a week. Now um, we've got a um, a real rent crisis here, and our rents are going to spike uh, significantly once this moratorium comes down. I'm no doubt, I'm sure we'll talk mm. about the rental market, but mm. uh, people are just looking at it, going, "Hold on, my rent's three fifty a week. It's probably going to go to four fifty a week on a four hundred to four fifty house." Um, I can borrow and uh, spend two hundred dollars a week on interest. And it's kind of becoming a no-brainer, and uh, yeah. and I think that's really starting to um, push people who can't afford to buy to um, to get out of renting and start to get into uh, home ownership. And then, um, interesting investors. I'm sure you, we'll talk about that. Still very thin on the ground, which is surprising over here in the west. So, Damien, with with that property you're talking about in Claremont, in the sort of you know, prior to 2018, I mean, I, I came actually over there and a, one of your, uh, you know, Ray who works for you took me for a tour of the city and we went and looked at lots of areas and um, you could still sense there was a lot of frustration in the city and, you, you know, surprised really when you went to different suburbs and you're like, what, well, you can buy that for that amount of money and it was a great little history lesson. But, you know, in those years, you know, the mid-2010s, would that property still have sold for a decent price maybe not with seven bidders like the premium sort of grade eight suburb the grade eight properties the best streets were they still getting competition or was were they still struggling were they even still struggling to sell look it it, it depends on the years i mean we've had um we, like all property markets is uh, you do have some uh, more volatile times certainly 12, 2012 13 14 was pretty um strong but um look i guess the thing is um uh, what I find is, if it's a if it's a good area, it's got good appeal. You will you will eventually sell, right? It, there is there is um, whereas uh, some of the uh, areas that got they got smashed, you couldn't give them away. Almost you literally could not give them away. It got that that bad. So I guess it's just part of your risk management as well. If you've got um, you know good good properties near the infrastructure, near, where there's good demand, the schools or whatever is in demand for that area. You will still sell it. You may not get the price exactly you want, but there will be some underlying demand for those um, those properties. Whereas, uh, you know, having seen what's happened, uh, you always think, oh, you can always sell it. And else, well, no, in some cases, just, you know, you almost couldn't give them away. It got that um, that challenging. So just another lesson about buying in those areas that have got that uh, good demand, got the things that people want but have limited supply. Yeah, it's funny because, like, you know, you talked about um, one of the reasons that things started shifting last year was because the building starts had slowed right down. And I guess that's the big, heavy, it's like trying to turn the Queen Mary around, isn't it? I mean, construction, once the building starts to be built, it's going to be finished regardless of what the market is at the end of the build versus the beginning of the build. And I guess it takes a while for all that to sort of finish and then to slow down and stop and then also for all that stock to get absorbed into the marketplace. So, you know, but there's still areas that are um, on the outer areas, you say, that are still sort of under pressure. Um, how long would you say, say, particularly with the apartment stock, for instance, how long of that decade, the past 10 years, how long would it have taken 
for that whole slowdown of building starts and the sale of that stock to sort of finally get absorbed into the marketplace to a point where you start to say, right, now we've got a shortage. Look, in, um, I still don't think there's a shortage yet of apartments. Uh, so, um, and even the House of Land stuff on the outskirts is, we're, we're definitely not into a, a shortage. We're, mm-hmm. we're probably coming back into a more balanced market, but from a massive oversupply. And, mm-hmm. and, and you're exactly right. You look at the, uh, you look at the uh, stats there. We were building uh, right at the wrong time. We were building 32,000 houses just as, in, 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 and, that's the thing with property. It's a as a market overall, as a whole whole market. It's uh, it's like exactly turning the uh, turning around the uh, the big ship. It takes a long time, and once things are started, I mean, to to build apartments and developers building apartments is looking potentially three years down the track. So by the time they come on yeah. supply, and uh, and um, even house and land, it's still going to be 12, 18 months. So. Uh, Things are happening at precisely the wrong time, and then as people left, uh, uh, there just wasn't enough people to fill those uh, fill those houses, and uh, so uh, so that's that's uh, certainly. So I think they're they're not um, they're certainly not in shortage yet. They might come into middle of next year again. It'll still depend on uh, population growth, and it'll be interesting to see in the, in this COVID environment um, how that goes. But uh, um, they're still not in shortage. I, I still don't expect the outer suburbs and the apartment market are going to see a, a lot of price growth in the next uh, 12 months. They, they might be a 2022 story where things finally recover, but I think we're just getting back for those markets to balance. But the established markets where there's not a lot of new supply, I think they'll have a pretty decent 2021. There's always a story behind the property as well. Like it's actually a person who's purchased that property that um, – you know, has a big loss that they have to deal with if they sell that property, whether they transfer it to their home or they pay it out. Like these are real lies that, you know, they're behind these properties. Um, and, you know, they, they, they can't really do anything with them. The problem with Perth from what I can see from afar is that um, your state government's one of the most generous out there encouraging people to buy new property. I think it's, you know, over $50,000 of incentives. Um, so, you know, yes, you had a building boom, say, 10 years ago, but Arguably, you're going to create another one because you're trying to push all your first home buyers and young families into new properties. Is that what you can see as well? Yeah, look, and I was um, certainly putting on my rewa hat um, as well as uh, my momentum wealth hat. I thought it was uh, it was it was it was over the top. Now, look, I get all the governments wanted to, you know they were paranoid about what was going to happen in the uh, economy and the building industry did a pretty good job and convinced the government that uh, the Armageddon was coming after he'd been down significantly and the government should throw some money. But, but the uh, the ones I particularly uh, – it, it, has, it has worked. But interestingly, and this is where uh, you talk about – which we spoke earlier about turning around the big uh, Queen Mary. Um, the building industry is actually right now in labour shortage because – and then they've come. They've come down from thirty-two thousand bills to fifteen thousand. So it's a, that's again real people in there. That means half the industry of trades have disappeared. They've gone into another career, or they've gone onto the mines, or they've left the state. So now mm. they've turned around. All this extra demand, the money, the builders have turned off the taxes. Quite a few builders have said, "We can't take any more orders." The land development mm. is struggling to get this because they've hardly been bringing any blocks to market. They get the civil contractors. I've got some uh, good friends of mine who are very large builders who. Uh, Saying they can't get trade, so I, we're not going to see a massive amount of um, new supply right. quickly. Um, it's certainly going to improve. I think they'll get from fifteen thousand uh, up to maybe seventeen, eighteen, but they'll be nowhere near in the next year or two getting towards thirty. They just don't have the labour supply to uh, to do that. So, um, but you know, if it keeps going, um, 
uh, at least the government has cut the deadline of the contract signing to 31st of December. I think yeah, that's enough. They should stop it. They've extended the start date, but I think um, uh, it should go back to normal. But the ones I felt particularly sorry for, and you mentioned there's some of the clients that you've got in those outer suburbs, I feel sorry for the guy or girl or, part or a couple, whoever they might be, who yeah. got, got a house on for 380, already massively underwater, uh, trying to sell it, going to probably lose some equity against their home, whether they've got, if they've got it cross yeah. whatever. And um, guess what? Then uh, the government throws 40, 50 grand at that potential buyer who's looking at yours into a new build. And they've, mm, all, wandered exactly. they've all wandered off to get the money. And uh, so that's really just made that a difficult situation and even more challenging. And that's exactly the point, right? Like the the buyers that could be buying the oversupply stuff that's uh, you know underwater for a lot of people are now not going to buy it because you know new's better than old in their minds. A nice new fridge, uh, not fridge, but you know everything else. So, um, I mean, that's the point. I mean, COVID's changed the world uh, on many different levels, and each city's you know gone through a different experience. Um, you know, looking at Facebook at some friends in Perth, that looks like everything's normal, like you said earlier. Um, but how has it changed the general sort of attitude around property and buyer preferences? Because it has had huge impacts in Sydney, undoubtedly, and I, I do think in Melbourne post-lockdown. What, what do you think is going to change in Perth? How are people going to look at property different? Well, I think the uh, – look, we're, we're being uh, – I guess Perth is uh, is uh, very spread out um, already. So, you know, the, the apartment market is, uh, is still a tiny. You know, I think I – Saw last year or the year before in, in Sydney that it's fifty to sixty percent of all new approvals of apartments in Perth. We'd be lucky to be lucky to be ten or fifteen percent. It is a very small component, so people are generally spread out. But certainly, um, you know, lots of people are working from home more and uh, spending uh, more time at um, at uh, home. We've already seen people obviously looking for properties. Uh, uh, we we represent owner occupiers as well, and particularly in that. Um, upper end of the market, they're very much looking for something with a decent home office capability uh, to work from work from home, and uh, and so look, will people flee to you know? There's all this talk that people are going to flee to uh, um, yeah. uh, regional areas. I, I still think uh, you're going to need to be you know you might, might not be in the office five days a week, but you'll still be in uh, at least you know two to three to four depending on your work and. Uh, so you're not going to go four or five hours away out of the town. I think um, potentially, if you're, uh, you know, there might be some, um, there might be some satellite areas, but you know, an hour, hour and a half away that might uh, get a bit more demand. But again, if there's a lot of supply there, um, how is that going to get uh, capital growth? So, uh, so look, overall, yeah. it's just been a bit more of um, we haven't had that fear of density. That uh, when I say fear of density, we do have a lot of people who don't want to have their neighbourhood, but we haven't had that fear of gee, I mean. An, you know, I'm in a COVID congested environment because Perth is very, very uh, low density and, and very spread out. So we haven't had probably as much of that as you might have seen in other congested cities around the world. If you like what you're hearing here, please share this episode with others you feel would benefit. And while you're at it, why not leave us an iTunes review? Five stars, please. Every review helps make it easier for other people to find us and hear what our amazing guests have to say. We love hearing your questions and we're planning more listener Q&A episodes. Please send your questions in. You can send them via the website, which is theelephantintheroom.com.au or directly via email to questions at theelephantintheroom.com.au. So do you think people will look up the coast a little bit more in terms of, you know, maybe they wanted Cottesloe or Scarborough or something like that, right? But now they're willing to 
sort of go up a bit more north, north up the beaches a bit more? Like if a buyer's changing and saying, well, we wouldn't have considered it, but now that we work from home a little bit, we'll go, you know, an extra 20, 30 minutes up the road? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, as long as it's got the amenities. So that's the uh, so that's the important yeah. part. And, uh, I mean, the, uh, you know, Cottesloe's a, a, a lovely beach, but, and so is Scarborough, but uh, Cottesloe's very expensive. It's probably the most expensive square metre rate uh, land in uh, in in Perth. And mm. um, you can go up, once you get past uh, Trig North Beach, up certain to some of Hillary's and so forth, it's, it's very, very... Uh, very much cheaper, beautiful beaches, even Burns Beach, which is right, right out. But uh, I think so. I think definitely uh, people will will um, look for the uh, – they're willing to travel a bit more as long as it's got the right amenity. So uh, yeah. those beach areas are definitely uh, likely to do pretty well. And, look, we've always bought up towards that way, but I certainly think um, um, that, yeah, you will start to see uh, – People, um, you know, if they don't have to travel five days a week, that commute becomes a little bit less important. It's still important. And um, there's all schools and a whole raft of other things that uh, people Yeah, that's to. true. But um, certainly if you, you know, if you, schools are less an issue and you're, um, you're going to work from home um, two or three days a week, well, then being near that beautiful beach, uh, even if it's 30, 40 minutes out, it's not that big a deal really, is it? What sort of split would you have in your business, uh, the buyer's agent side of your business, um, between so owner-occupiers and investors? Um, right now, we I'd say the last two years, we were probably 65% owner-occupiers um, and very few investors. We're probably back to more six, uh, more about 40% owner-occupiers, 60% investors, and our business is generally targeted to investors. But what's um, really been interesting is the uh, is the lack of investor return coming back into the market. Uh, there, is, there is definitely more interest. There's definitely more investor activity than there was 12, 18 months ago, but I think uh, yeah. uh, our vacancy rates plummeted below 1%. We're 0.96 and uh, mm. our 40-year low is 0.8 in 2007 and we are going to um, hit that. Um, it's uh, If it's not uh, November, December, it'll be definitely January, February. And I look at the uh, investor finance figures every month and uh, uh, we're seeing uh, in Western Australia with the last two years, 2019, 2018, the worst two years ever in ABS stats, not even, again, just the population. Um, and even now, it's still only about 280 to 340 mil. I think last month it was recorded was 340 yeah. mil. In the last time we had vacancy rates this low, in, in 2013 we had 1.3%. In 2007 we had 0.8%. Investor finance was a billion dollars a month. And it's, mm, yeah. and it's, um, and so when you got, when you analyze it, you go, why are investors not coming back in a significant number? Yes, they're better than they were. It's, it's two things. The first thing is the, when you've, uh, this, you know, we all, uh, we all know um, people tend to follow uh, what's happened. And there's a psychology of recency, and it's been interesting doing a bit of reading. <laughs> yep. Yeah. What's happened in the most recent six to twelve months is most likely to happen in the next six to twelve months. And yeah. right now, in people in Perth, they're just starting to see some capital growth. But if you've been in the Perth property market, you, your almost mentality is it'll never grow. Perth prices never grow ever. They don't go up in value, and that's. That's one of the reasons I think um, people have been a bit scarred if they've had some properties, um, their homes have gone down in value, so maybe haven't got the equity. And um, so that's kept them on the sidelines. But we've also had a government over here who, like all state governments, uh, put in some moratoriums and emergency legislation around residential tenancies. And uh, look, um, ours was uh, quite uh, quite uh, across the board. And uh, we we uh, certainly remember lobbying the government to make some amendments, which they did. But one of the ones they didn't do was um, amend was uh, basically there's a rent freeze at the moment. You cannot put rents up 
and look, mm. uh, kind of got it. Made sense, perhaps in uh, when we thought unemployment was going to blow out to fifteen twenty percent. But um, in September, the end of September, when we had five months of no community transmission, they decided to extend it for six months, which was uh, oh. really, a really dumb, really dumb move when we're having. Uh, so there's lots of people who are protected who've actually had pay rises and uh, uh, enjoying life as normal, and uh, they're sitting on rent freeze, and it's. It's uh, so that's put investors off. They're going, I can't put the rent up, and it, it is actually quite hard to evict people, um, and the process is longer. And so they've kicked it down to March. The uh, I met with the minister the other week, and they swear up and down they're not going to extend it any further. But it has made a difficult situation worse because it's kept investors out of the, the market, and to some degree, yeah. investors are sitting on their hands just at the wrong time. And also, when you have a market adjustment to rents, the rents will go up. Uh, probably 20% when the moratorium finishes. If we had that now, tenants would go, oh, you know what, I'll get another, um, our rent's gone up 20%, let's get another friend in, or uh, they adjust mm. household size. But right now when you're in a rent freeze, you've got no incentive, you don't need to adjust your household size. So so it's really a double edge. It's kept investors out. This meant tenants haven't adjusted their household sizes right at the worst time. We're going to go below our 40-year low um, uh, vacancy rate. Uh, rents are going to pop. Mm. Um, on, a, on the ones that have had rent freeze, um, um, rents are going to pop 20%. And I can tell you exactly why, because the ones that do come up for rent, when we put them back in the market, uh, we are getting on houses 20 to 25% already, rent increases, mm. and because uh, you can put those rents up on new leases when tenants leave. Um, apartments still a bit patchy, uh, probably yeah. sort of 5%. But uh, if you've got a house in a decent suburb, bang, the families want it and uh, they are, they're going ballistic. So we are going to see some pretty significant rent increases uh, come March next year. In 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 Brisbane and in Sydney in particular, we've, and, and actually in Melbourne as well, I've heard stories about expats uh, moving back and mm. so their family home would have been, was previously rented out and that's removed from the rental market. Have you seen that as well uh, impacting on the actual availability of rental stock? Yeah, definitely. We've seen uh, uh, a number of people move back from interstate and overseas. But interestingly, um, you under the legislation we've got, uh, you can't actually um, ask no, the no. Uh, tenant to leave. There's, the tenant's got a guaranteed right to stay there until March 2021 now, unless yeah. you can demonstrate hardship, which is very difficult. So um, you know, we've certainly we've got, we manage a pretty large rental portfolio, and we've had had um, people wanting to move back in. We're trying to negotiate with the tenant. In some cases, you know, we've been able to give the tenant a bit of a you know a rent free period before they leave or pay them a bit of money to leave, but you cannot kick them out. So that once March comes, there'll be there'll be more people uh, looking to move back into their properties. So uh, yeah, look, we've got a rental real rental crisis here, and uh, it's not just in Perth in the, uh, uh, the in regional areas. I've done some uh, some uh, stuff in my rewa role for um, uh, in in Geraldton, an example. People living in caravan parks in Dunsborough, Bustledon, same thing. There, um, I've had people having to leave those regions because they uh, um, they can't uh, find a property. It's just been uh, we've gone from mm. oversupply. Now we're going to that period of uh, significant undersupply. So how long it lasts for us? This is the question. But uh, there's a real rental challenges in the uh, West Australian market, and not enough investors buying and uh, putting houses in the market to provide for tenants. So people moving back to Perth, because, I mean, it's one of those cities where uh, people will kind of come and go a little bit. You know, you said that population was booming when the resources were going nuts and then they all, everyone, it wasn't growing anywhere near as fast, um, et cetera. But are you seeing lots of people moving back from overseas um, or back interstate? A little bit like Adelaide's the same sort of story, right? They go to Sydney or Melbourne or 
for the work and then when they get to the stage of life for families, they come back. So are you seeing quite a lot of people coming back? That's, that's, uh, that's been very um, uh, prevalent in Perth over many decades. So the people who grew up in Perth, they, they love it, the beautiful yeah. life, but then they want to see generally go and you know, experience the big city. So they often went to Sydney, Melbourne, or even internationally, uh, Hong Kong, Singapore. And then, they, as you say, they would come back um, in their 30s, not always, and some of them wouldn't come back, but they come back in their 30s and you know, with a family and like the, you know, the bigger blocks and, um, and what they can get for their um, for their money. But uh, look, mm. we've seen, um, uh, we've certainly, I think people are reassessing uh, uh, yeah. life and um, is, is it, so we've certainly seen uh, some quite some, significant demand from internationals who want to buy back into Perth um, with a plan to come back in the next, you know, what might have been a five or ten year program is suddenly they're coming back in one or two years. Uh, just so I want to make sure they've got a job to come back to. Yeah. They come into Western Australia. Um, where our hard border is coming down, I've heard there's, uh, there's potential upwards of 10,000 people coming back between now and Christmas, which will put real pressure on the rental market if they haven't got a place to live already. Mm. So I think, um, you know, how long it will last for, I don't know. We we used to have that big hollowing out uh, 24 to 34, 25 to 34 four year olds. Um, and whether that will um, uh, be just a short term trend or not, I don't know. But uh, I think people are reassessing uh, uh, life and uh, is everything about the career. And, uh, uh, you know, it's, look, we could all get over it if the vaccine comes early next year as they're talking. And um, in middle of 2021, we're. Uh, all vaccinated, life goes back to normal. Perhaps it won't have as, as a lasting effect, but if it lingers on for years, and uh, uh, I think it may have a more a, a longer term effect. Uh, look, Perth has been a fast growing city. It's it, it long run average is one point eight percent population growth, but it's been very much a um, it's a job growth city. That's what attracts people here. The, the lifestyle's fabulous. I'm from Melbourne, and yeah. I moved here twenty years ago, and it's beautiful. I you know ride my bike around the river, and it's I just think wow, it's, it's amazing, and it's. Uh, um, but uh, when I grew up in Melbourne, people left Melbourne if they were going to leave for lifestyle. They went to Queensland. West Australia was <laughs> almost another planet. Like it's over in the West and uh, it's so far away, it's almost like another country. And uh, so the, the, you generally don't get people moving for lifestyle. You get them generally for job and economic opportunities. So, and then mm. they come, not a, some go back, but a lot of people do end up staying. Um, so, um, so that'll be, uh, look, we've got a, you know, reasonably strong economy at the moment with the mining sector and construction picking up. So I expect that'll bring people in. And uh, at the moment, there will be far, far less people leaving. So that will be something that we'll uh, certainly watch in the years ahead as to whether and, and how, how much uh, people are going back to the old patterns of going to the big bright lights in their 20s and 30s or whether that changes now. That's yeah, a really interesting trend to watch. I guess it's always a risk, though, with Perth, isn't it? Because, I mean, like you said, you know, mining is still the number one driver of, of the whole economy there um, and there's all the the knock-on industries or the, the, the Klingons you know, that either do well yeah. or don't do well depending on how well the mining industry is going. And so I guess that's the risk, isn't it, that things are going well, start things are taking off again, and then what happens when there's another, um, you know, slow down the mining sector? Yeah, you're right, right. So if you're investing in the in the West, uh, it, it is very much um, uh, a mining based uh, um, economy. If you're lucky for the US, if you're in Houston, it's uh, it's basically an oil and gas town. There's not much else. Now, the yeah. only the only one mm. thing I would say about Western Australia, we are fortunately we are a definitely a commodity based town, and a lot of things rely on the commodities. So, but we are fairly well 
diversify. We're not a one-trick, uh, uh, just one industry. Yeah. We do have it. Iron ore is definitely our biggest, but we do have a lot of oil and gas. So right now, actually, the oil and gas sector is suffering. So uh, mm. one of our big employers here, Woodside, has actually put some people off because the oil price is getting down because no one's uh, travelling on planes and and, uh, mm-hmm. and and so forth. So so that sector's iron ore is very strong, gold, nickel. So there is a, there, there is quite lithium as although that's getting whacked at the moment. So you've got to be uh, if you're investing in the West, you've got to have a, a positive outlook on on uh, on demand and certainly um, mm. for commodities. Um, I'm still fairly. Um, you know, one of the reasons I moved over here was um, uh, lifestyle and but economic opportunity. Um, and uh, my partner wanted to move over here, and uh, uh, she loved the place. So it was it was very much about. Um, um, but I saw the long run, the, the future of Asia, um, the growth. Yes, China's growing, and uh, that'll start to slow down. But all those other, you know, we look, uh, we probably pay more attention over here in the West to it uh, than uh, perhaps over mm. east. But certainly, uh, Vietnam, Thailand, India. Um, with all those, you know, those countries get their act together. There's another uh, two billion consumers and uh, two billion people looking for a good life, uh, all within, uh, you know, all very close to our region. So, uh, so if you uh, if you've got a lot, you will have to if you invest in the West, you're going to have to have some ups and downs, um, um, and uh, it won't go in a straight line, seven percent per annum or anything silly like that. It might go some years twenty, <laughs> and other years, other years it might go negative ten. You just got to ride out the waves, but. Um, <laughs> You've got to take yeah. a if your if your position is that commodities and you know mining's are uh, not going to do well in the next twenty years, where well, you wouldn't want to invest in the West. You've got to have that yeah, that fundamental yeah. position. Um, and uh, if you yeah, so that would be a big call if you that would be a big part of your decision making to invest over here. So if you were investing in Perth, what what so and you've got that confidence around the long term sort of commodities, and you know that the population's growing strong because the more people that or in the city, you get this pressure cooker effect, right? If yeah. if first population was four million or five million, you'd have a lot more people needing a lot more services, a lot more industries, um, a lot more uh, corporations would be having offices there, etc. That need staff. So it kind of is a chicken and egg problem. But if let's say you do assume that population growth is going to be, you know, quite decent, you know, it's a great lifestyle. It's uh, you know, not only Australians moving over there, but also from overseas. How do you think that the city will just grow like um, like a Sydney Melbourne, like an onion? The inner ring suburbs will grow a lot stronger than the middle ring and then the outer ring, or do you think it's going to spread a bit more up and down the coast? Or how do you think the prices are, are going to sort of shift? I guess the most. I think it'll fan out. Look, um, um, it's been interesting because I grew up in Melbourne, knowing what happened to property prices there as the cities get bigger. Um, yeah. I certainly applied a lot of that uh, lessons lessons over here. So you are definitely going to have that. In a ring, but because we're on the coast and we very much have beautiful beaches, it'll fan out a bit further. So, as we spoke a bit about earlier, the uh, uh, and now in a post-COVID environment, people may not come into the city every day or for their jobs. They might stay home a bit more. It certainly does fan out. So we we basically uh, in a lot of areas we and we don't buy all the inner city rings for you know for a whole variety of reasons in the suburbs. But um, certainly. Uh, uh, it'll fan up along the coast, but I think it'll also, uh, and down south along the coast, but it'll also, um, one of the interesting things in uh, you know, in Perth is that the train, being close to the transport is not 
yet as big a deal as I as I yes. would have yeah. thought. Um, mm. You know, and I grew up in Melbourne and used to work as an accountant in the city. I got the train every day, and being near the train line was a big help for me because, uh, uh, goodness me, you didn't want to drive into Melbourne um, in, the tra- in the peak hour traffic. You got the train. I went to uni in the city and got the train every day. And there's people in Perth still car, car reliant. Um, it's getting yes. better. It's getting more. But I think so. We've bought for a lot of our clients. Um, you know, a lot of properties within that walkable catchment to train stations in the northern and other corridors because I, I think they'll be the ones that uh, it'll get to the point of like this congestion's out of control. I want to be, I'm going to get the train right. to work and, um, and uh, gee, I wanna, I'll pay that premium to be near a train line uh, that you do see in Sydney and Melbourne. So I think that's, um, that's something that we will see as the city gets bigger. The forecasts are by 2050, it will be four and a half million people. Uh, whether that comes true or not, I guess we'll, uh, who knows, but. Uh, but certainly, uh, the more it expands, that pressure cooker figure, uh, the pressure cooker example you gave, absolutely. And um, there will just be more people will pay that premium for access to you know, important things like like being near the city, being near the transport, and uh, and perhaps it might be a little bit different now in a post-COVID environment that that lifestyle component might be um, a little bit more important because they're spending more time at home and having that opportunity to use it. But uh, but nonetheless, certainly, if I was buying in Perth, that uh, the cl- further north you go, the closer to the beach you want to be. Yes. <laughs> it's pretty much the same sort of as Sydney in a way. You know, we've got a, a mountain range that also blocks development on the western side. But, um, you know, we've, we're close to the coast and we've got the beaches running up and down and, and the beaches do become, and in fact, Chris, you're benefiting from this right now, aren't you? I mean, you you bought it on those northern <laughs> beaches and with crap public transport. But in the COVID world, it's uh, everyone's saying, right, I'm prepared to put up with a bit of crap traffic maybe two days a week, but I wouldn't do it if I had to do it five days a week. Yeah, I mean, 100%. I guess that... The interesting thing with Sydney is that uh, like the South Beach is probably it's probably a little bit like Perth as well. It's all the the nicer beaches a bit more to the north. Is that kind of correct over there? <laughs> they, look, they, um, they are a matter of opinion. The, uh, certainly, um, the uh, there is a bit of a north-south divide here. Like uh, 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 people sort of uh, once they grow up in one side of the river, uh, and we call, it is a river, but it's it's pretty blue. It's like um, you know the uh, it's a uh, an ocean river, not to, not as deep as Sydney. Not like, Hunter, the, yeah, not, like, not like the not, Yarra. <laughs> not like the Yarra or the Brisbane River. It's brown. No, it's mm. very blue and picturesque. And uh, um, but uh, yeah, yeah. The, the northern beaches, uh, uh, the industry, there's a big industrial area on yeah. the south side of Quinana. So uh, so yeah. uh, that tends to within that region. Uh, and there's a nice beach here, sadly. But anyway, the you know, heavy industry is so. People tend not to be want to be sort of more five k north or south of that, so that sort of blocked it off. And you can get up in Coogee and um, and they're a bit of doing a bit of redevelopment on the south side of the beaches, but it's not until you really get to that uh, safety bay, Rockingham, where it starts to be a bit more picturesque. So, uh, so the northern beaches are definitely more popular. We spread sixty k north up to Yanchep on yep. the beach coast. Um, south, it's a lot more sparse um, in where people are living on the beach. And if someone say. Um a successful person, not saying successful is the wrong word, but someone who's um, you know financially uh, got stuff, money, I guess, um, and they don't need to come to the city that often, um, and they want a pure lifestyle, but they only want to live, you know, an hour to two hours out of Perth. Where would that what they most likely go? Would they go down maybe as close as sort of Margaret River? What, what other areas is there sort of on their sort of uh, hot list? I guess. Yeah, the, it's interesting. Uh, again, having grown up in Melbourne, and the uh, 
my uh, playground in the summer was um, the Mornington Peninsula. That was only an hour, exactly. an hour, hour and a half out. Um, our our, um, our lifestyle here, the, the, a lot of the weekenders and has been down in that Margaret River region, but it's for me it's three hours away and it's just uh, yes. it's not, a, not a weekend. Place. I, I think what we're starting to see now is um, the – you know, Mandra's had a bit of a rough trot there because of for um, uh, for um, unemployment and not a lot of jobs down there. But I think with now that post COVID lifestyle, um, you can get in from Mandra an hour and ten minutes. So if you're only coming in two or three days a week, uh, yeah, would you want to do it five days a week? Probably not. But uh, there's a lot of canal blocks and uh, good lifestyle down there in the north. We're starting to see that Lanceland was more a holiday spot, but. Uh, so I think yeah, and you can get them incredibly cheap. I mean, you can buy um, right. uh, you can buy properties in those locations, uh, you know, a third or a quarter of what you would pay with equivalent in Sydney, and uh, and uh, pretty you know at least half off from Melbourne. So uh, so uh, I, I suspect uh, you know yeah, and Chef, these sort of regions, Lanson up the north and and Mandurah and uh, and well, you know down the coastal region there uh, around the Peel Inlet and. Uh, uh, there's, there's there's a chance that they could do um, um, particularly well, but again, if you're going to be in those areas, once you get out the back blocks, there is supply. So you, if you're going to go to those areas, you want to be in a in a premium spot right near the water because they're not yeah, making exactly. any more of that. You don't want to be in the box suburbs where they can keep churning out house and land for for 400k. Exactly, it's the premium end of those premium like potential premium markets one day. So yeah. you, you know you're literally on the water or very close to it, not um, in the fringes where there's lots of you know, supply for, for years and years and years to come. Exactly right, Chris. Yep. I'm a bit curious um, about your syndicated property investments. Um, you know, certainly something I've often thought about in Sydney, you know, it's expensive and people like to invest and quite often they don't have enough money to invest in a quality asset. And I think to myself, you know, would you do it in residential? Could you could you syndicate? And I think some people have. What sort of, what, how do you do syndication? Yeah, Veronica, we've been doing it, um, uh, I've been doing it for about seven years uh, now in developments and uh, we, we, we purchased another business five years ago. So we've got, we've got about half a billion of assets under management. The reason for it is I, I don't um, generally do it in, in residential, um, uh, standalone yeah. residential because uh, uh, most people want to touch it and feel it and they can it's, they can borrow and generally do it themselves. So the only mm. exception yeah. to that, um, uh, we've actually bought about 10 million to prop up and then Headland Caratha uh, about a year ago because that market got got smashed eighty percent. It was way below replacement, so that was a bit of a spec buy. Um, but uh, predominantly, it's in the space where, um, and that was single residential. So that was unusual. But most of the funds that we do are, um, are developments or, or passive commercial. So my big commercial asset um, these days, and I've still got a one noose around my neck, which is my old office in East Perth. The uh, uh, you know, it's you, you've got to spend a couple of million. And it's very concentrated. So if you spend, first of all, if you had the capacity to spend half a couple of mil in the first place for a decent commercial asset, um, that that for most people that's that's hugely concentrated part of their portfolio and, yeah. uh, and their wealth. And, and my office in East Perth sadly is sitting there vacant now two years later. Now luckily it's only a small part of my portfolio, but it's been a pain in the neck. And mm. uh, so I've had that asset for 14, 15 years. So so what I wanted to do is to be able and enable investors who. Yeah, I, I, my philosophy on property is residential is a great place to start, but it's not generally where you want to finish up in totally in residential because as much as I love it and it's been great and made a lot of money for me, it, the yields, you know, when you get to retirement phase, those yields just aren't 
great. Yeah. Um, yeah. In, in a low, low inflation environment now, it's a lot better than money in the bank. But your net mm-hmm. yields on resi, in Perth, you're probably going to get net three and three and a bit perhaps, which is um, certainly better than 1% of the bank. But nonetheless, it's not that great. Whereas in commercial, um, you do get you get a higher yield premium, but that's because it comes at high risk. So what we've tried mm. to do is put together diversified portfolios, asset, six to eight assets, maybe 12 to 20 tenants nationally across the board, um, and people put in 100,000, 200,000, whatever, 50,000. Um, so they're not, so they've got some better yields, um, but their exposure is spread across a variety of asset classes. And mm. some is residential development. Um, we do uh, development space. Again, you know, you're targeting higher returns with very high risk, and I used to do developments uh, in uh, in my younger days, uh, and for I set up Momentum Wealth, and um, you know, again, you can make a lot of money in developing, but you can also lose your shirt. And uh, so, and a lot of people to do a decent development, we certainly have clients to do develop and hold. You know, might build a duplex and get some better cash flow and depreciation. But generally, the small scale developer developing itself is pretty too risky. So, it gives those people if they want to develop in a sale opportunity, target higher returns, a bit of an opportunity to take go into one of those um, investments without putting all their eggs in, in one basket. And it's been really good that the clients appreciate it. They, they like those opportunities and uh, it's not for everybody in development. We only take sophisticated investors because it is just too risky and I don't want to, somebody who doesn't understand it and understand the risks because uh, to get in because you can make a lot and you can also lose a lot. Um, yeah. yeah. In the commercial market, it is that most of our funds are open to um, retail or wider range of investors, so that uh, um, uh, that they can put in their fifty or hundred or whatever that is. They'll get their seven percent returns. Hopefully, get some capital growth. And, and but look, the, the retail, the, the the commercial passive ones are generally for most of the investors in that space. are sixty plus. My, my, yep. parents, my parents are in them. They're in their early seventies. Uh, it's in their super fund. They put in some money. They get the seven percent yield. They're they're very happy. With that that's the sort of target market for that one. The development mm. one is generally tends to be high net worth people in their forties to sixties who've uh, who've got a bit you know a fair bit of capital and can take a bigger risk. It's not for the starting out investor. Then people get all excited about development. Uh, development yeah. is too risky for you starting. When you've got a bit of wealth behind you, you might allocate some of your capital and portfolio to that. But definitely not where you want to be starting in development. Even though it sounds yeah. sexy and people love it, uh, they, you know, always hear about the success stories. There's plenty of people who lose their shirt in development. Absolutely. <laughs> it's like everything in property. Yeah. <laughs> in a way, you only hear the good stories. Absolutely. <laughs> and you, you, t- you took the words, I guess, out of my mouth, I guess. Um, I mean, I guess it's at what stage you're at and what wealth are you at and what position you are and different opportunities, are, you know, more tailored or are better suited to different people, right? You know, so... You know, maybe when you're starting out, going in down a development is not a great idea. Maybe buying your first family home is a great idea. And I think you're, you're com- going back to my sort of financial planning uh, mindset and days, those sort of commercial syndicated um, is a great option for them because, A, if they've got it in their super fund, you're not paying any tax. So um, yield, you're not losing 45, 40, 50% mm. of it um, in there if it's in a, a pension phase in super fund. And secondly, it's not that big lumpy asset where, you know, if you've got a million-dollar residential property, you can't really sell it down in stages, but, you know, your 50, 100,000 is not going to be everything they've got. It's it's a part of their portfolio. So, um, yeah, if people are at that stage of life, it's definitely a, a good option for people to be looking at those type of syndicated, um, you know, options. Your development option, is they basically putting money in a pool, um, 
together with a lot of other people and then you're going to a bank and getting another lot of money um, and then they only get their returns once you've kind of gone through and sold them all? Is that sort of what, what you're trying to do? You're kind of development partners almost? Yeah, so it's um, so we've got our own AFSL and um, and we uh, yeah they're all they're basically syndicated. So the uh, pool of money, for example, we've got one at the moment, um, uh, a waterfront uh, luxury apartment development uh, in Crawley. The, the apartments will sell for two mil to five mil. We raise yes. we raise we raise ten mil. We'll probably borrow uh, sixteen or eighteen million from the bank. Um, uh, I often have to sign my life away on that, but that's okay. I'm running the projects, um, and then when we sell them, we get a return. Yeah, so it's it's lumpy. It's you don't want to be lying that as your income. It's lumpy, and uh, you know you, you can certainly get uh, twenty plus percent per annum, but it is risk. There'll be some projects you do you get you're lucky to get your money back, and I guess that's what I just explain to people. Um, if you just go into a development project on your own or in, in a syndicated one, it's got to be some money that you're not going to lose sleep over at night because um, it does carry risk and, uh, uh, you know, hopefully you get some good payoffs. But, you know, there will be, and there's plenty of people in Australia, we know, um, look at the uh, BRW top uh, 400. Uh, or top yes, 200. exactly. For everyone who's on that list, there's probably 20 who've lost everything. So um, it's something yeah. that um, for the right person, the right phase of their investing career, it might be something they allocate a portion of their capital, but yeah, it's uh, it's got to be the right stage for you. And uh, and yeah, this is exactly right, Chris. When we sit down with clients, we you know we're trying to look at for them at what's the right stage for them at that stage. And uh, you know, your homes are probably the first thing you want to get into. And residential, residential is great where you should start. It's fairly low risk. Um, don't get into that other stuff until you're a bit older and got a bit of wealth yeah. behind you. Yeah, it makes sense. You've gone for the premium end of the. Uh the Perth market, you build what they haven't really got enough of, right? And what people are willing to to buy and they're, they're going to go a bit crazy on, like you're not going to go and build low-end apartments when there's already an oversupply of apartments or, you know, duplexes in the outer suburbs when there's already enough of those. So, um, yeah, yeah, and it's all the scale developments you've got, you know, not the bigger risks of the, you know, the hundreds and hundreds of apartments that, you know, are going to be hard to sell. Um no, it's, it's not a market. Um, uh, generally, they're all target owner occupiers and uh, downsizers predominantly. Uh, we've got a fair bit of wealth, and there's a bit of that certainly stored up. But um, uh, we've got another one intrigued on the beachfront. Yeah, so very select projects. It's not. Uh, we're not. Um, we're providing opportunities to our clients. We're not, you know, full time developers, so we don't have to be doing something all the time. And uh, we'll come in out of the market as we see those as we see those opportunities for our clients. I think that leads quite nicely into our Dumbo of the week because, you know, you talked about for all the good stories as, you know, for every good story there might be nine sad stories. Do you have a Dumbo for us, a lesson that we could all learn from? <laughs> I, certainly, I certainly do, Veronica. I remember um, uh, when I, uh, when I uh, got out of my accounting days, um, uh, I had to uh, create an income. So while, while I'm a big advocate of long-term buy and, uh, buy and hold great assets, I had to uh, – Earn an income, and uh, so I used to do a bit of renovate and flip and sell. That is a hard gig, but you can. Uh, if um, sometimes, not for everyone, you could you could make some money. But I remember very clearly uh, um, uh, one that I was uh, looking at. You've really got to build and renovate. If you're renovating to hold or whatever you're renovating for, it's got to meet the market conditions. And I'll never forget. Um, I did one um, in uh, Subiaco, which is a near city yep. suburb, perhaps uh, uh, Paddington, perhaps you might call it in Sydney or a sort of Hawthorne-ish area of, uh, of Melbourne. And uh, yeah, it's a very nice suburb. Um, and this was back 
10 years ago and um, and I had this there's a lot of character to it and I uh, um, went in and uh, did a renovation and uh, on a property and but you know you had to style it right whereas I saw someone else bought one and they thought they could do it um, they, were, they, were, they were trying to flip it and they bought one and they put in IKEA kitchens uh, oh yeah Believe it or not, plastic sinks, and this was back in the day when you actually had plastic sinks. Uh, wow. Something, something yeah. you would expect in a first-time buyer, probably. And yeah, sure, yeah. sure enough, when they bought it to market, they couldn't sell it. They lost a lot of money, and uh, the person who ended up buying it ended up stripping the place out and, and doing it again. And so, so <laughs> just always, always, so that that person would have torched eighty or hundred grand just doing that. So oh. I just think it's, you've got to, if you, you know, you, your, pro- your property has to match the market whether you're renting it. Um, whether you're selling it, whatever you're doing with the finishes, even the layout, you've got to meet the market. So always be thinking about it. It's not just about um, now you've got to buy. I love land value component because that's what goes up in, in value. But it's also that the asset on top is going to be there for a long time. And whether yeah. you're renting that out or trying to sell it later, and you, you know, well, you might eventually, you'll probably eventually sell it anyway. Make sure it's got the the, the finishes and and especially no property is perfect, but make sure it meets the market conditions because people. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to rent it or sell it. It's so true because I've seen situations like that happen where the property that's been poorly finished, you know, they just really scrimped or they just didn't understand their marketplace and ultimately sold less than an unrenovated yeah. version. Same thing. It's like it devalues it. It doesn't add any value whatsoever. So yeah, it, you're a, right. the next person's coming in there going, oh, I'm going to have to strip this out. So it's exactly. going to cost me money. Yeah. It's going to cost me money. Yeah. Absolutely. And it also it, it also deters all those renovated buyers because they're not looking at that type of property. They're actually looking for unrenovated. So you've got to find someone who actually happens to see it who is prepared to do it because everyone else looks at it and goes, oh, what a shame they did that. And then just walk out the door again. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you're flipping, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, a lot of that's a lot of mistakes a lot of people do make, you know, they'll, they'll probably overpay for the, they'll be too bullish and they'll overpay for the, the unrenovated place and then they'll probably try to skimp on the reno and then not be able to get a good sale price and it's been all a bit of a waste of time and stressful. I mean, I think it's all very true as well for people renovating their own homes as well mm. uh, while they're living in it because, you know, their life plan changes and they've, you know, maybe not done the bathroom as nice or they've, you know, got rid of a bath or, you know, all, all these mistakes you can make when you renovate your own home where, you know, ultimately when you decide to leave, you you, you basically wasted an opportunity, I think, with, um, you know, that as well. Absolutely. So, Damien, this has been a great interview. Thank you so much. We have covered not only we've got a great insight into the Perth market but also, you know, it's just a, just a really great concrete lesson in all the fundamentals and how they play out. It doesn't matter what market. You know, these there are similarities and commonalities that we all need to consider. So thank you for your time. My pleasure, guys. Lovely to do a chat. Thank you, Damien. Really appreciate it. We want to make you a better elephant rider. And this week's elephant rider training is... You know, I've been asked a lot recently about, you know, what's my view of negative gearing in a low interest rate environment? And, you know, what are our clients doing differently if they're doing anything differently? and Interestingly enough, pardon the pun, um, as you know, I would never recommend anybody buy a property just so they can negative gear it anyway because you have to lose a dollar to get 45 cents back if you're in the yep. top bracket. Um, however, you know, the negative gearing obviously gives cash flow uh, to investors and it has allowed them to uh, get into the market. But I just thought this would be a good thing to chat with you about, Chris, because the reality is that you need less cash flow if your interest costs are lower, correct? 
Yeah, it's it's not, you know it's not such an issue. So, what are you having these conversations with your clients at the moment, and what are, what are you uh, advising them on the borrowing side of things? Yeah, so there's a, probably a uh, what's not the right word? It's like a myth. It's kind of like some like a um, you know a truth, I guess, in, out there that isn't actually true. Where people think, oh, I buy properties to get a tax benefit. Like that's one of the reasons why I should buy an investment property. And a lot of people think it's one of the best reasons to buy an investment property. And um, you know, a lot of the time we have to kind of break that down and explain. No, the reason you're buying property is it's an investment. You're buying something to grow wealth. It's to to grow an asset base, to live off one day for some reason, whatever that might be, to retire or to upgrade your home or to get the kids through, you know, give them a head start in life, whatever it is. But what you're trying to do is grow an asset base. And a lot of people are going, well, I'm doing it so I can get a solve a tax problem. I'm paying too much tax, et cetera. Um, and, you know, it's not really a great reason to be buying property. You're going to, a lot of people, uh, spruikers play on that um, thought and they say, oh, yeah, if you buy this, you can get a lot of depreciation. You'll get a lot back in your tax. Um, and then the person falls for it and forgets what they're even doing. Why they're even in the room is to buy an investment to grow wealth. So we get it a lot. I think, um, you know, even just last week, uh, a client was saying, yeah, well, you know, it'd be good if I buy an investment property, I'll have a, you know, save money on my tax. But I was like, well, actually, you won't actually, because we'll get, you know, a fixed rate, probably mid twos. Um, and when you look at your interest bill plus your strata or plus the, you know, if not an apartment, if it's the maintenance, et cetera, um, it's going to be very closely to neutrally geared, if not potentially slightly positively geared. Um, you may have a little bit of depreciation, even if it's an old build, they have um, depreciation. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's kind of almost neutrally geared. And that's very unique. And that's why I think the investor market's coming back Um for two reasons. One, because they're reading their interest rates are very low and they're starting to, in the last week, we've seen, you know, existing clients come to us who, you know, thought about investment properties for years, but they've all of a sudden just come to us and said, oh, we want to buy an investment property. And the other thing is that there's already a bit of a positive news spin changing um, very quickly. It's gone from, you know, big 30% falls. Actually, the market's not going to fall at all. The market's going to go up because of low interest rates. So I think investors will start coming back where they've been really you know, kind of run for the hills for the last three or four years. So, yeah, it's an interesting conversation. Yeah, and maybe also those low interest rates will offset the fact that rental yields are certainly somewhat depressed at the moment. So <laughs> that's a good point as well. So there's, there's a little bit of fear in the market that, you know, vacancies are huge, you know, et cetera. But once, you know, people get their head around and go, actually, no, there's not actually a vacancy problem with houses in good suburbs of Sydney, you know, mm. there just isn't. Uh, the same in Melbourne. There's not a vacancy problems of good, um, located, well presented houses in Melbourne. Like they're still renting. Um, same in so, Brisbane. You know, same in Brisbane. Exactly like the same, same in thing. Perth. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you know, there's not really a vacancy problems for the the properties that uh, you know investors should be buying. Um, and so you don't have to worry about vacancy rates. You don't have to worry about international students. You don't have to worry about um, you know uh, moratoriums and you know big, all that sort of stuff. So. I think uh, once the investor realises that that's not what they're going to buy anyway, then they're not worried about the the rental problems. So, um, yeah, I think it's a if you've got capacity right now, low rates are without doubt going to create a, a bigger appetite for credit. That's what they do, mm. um, and banks are now lending money easier, especially for investors. Um, maybe even potentially more if responsible lending rules change next year. So, 
you put flow of credit and you put low rates together um, and you think people have got borrowing capacities left because you can borrow more money now, um, then I think investors will come back. And they're not, there's no fears around negative gearing going like there was you know, in the last few years. So, yeah. All of those combined to say that if you are going to invest, particularly if you're looking at investing in Sydney, um, I can speak obviously with knowledge of that market, then you need to start looking at doing it now, not when every man's dog has decided to jump on the bandwagon. Yeah, and I think I'd argue say, you know, Sydney, like you were saying already, I think it's already top, gone. Uh, mm. You know, and so you're already, you know, probably one step behind. It doesn't mean that it's not, even in the 2012 to 17 boom, um, you know, I remember saying, you know, it's got to end at some point, but it just didn't end in 2014-15, even though you thought, wow, mm. um, how can prices keep going up? So even if you feel like you're a little bit late to the party, I think the party will have a long, if rates stay low and they're likely to, um, it's going to take a long time for those, the markets get repriced on 2% interest rates. Um, so I think you've got plenty of time, but I'd get moving. Well, that's it. And so the RBA is saying really that rates will be fixed low for, you know, three years. And also, you know, the, the reality is it comes back to asset selection. You buy a good asset. It doesn't sort of matter when you buy it. It's timing, in, not timing. Uh, so yep. you are buying a good asset for the long term. It's just that if you've been sitting on your hands, it's probably time to get off them. Yeah, yep. And I, can, and I already see that people are doing that. So the, late, the more that you kind of uh, sit on your hands, the worse it's going to get. So, yeah, stand up. <laughs> <laughs> Please join us for our next episode. We're interviewing Nicole Peterson-McKinnon. Now, she's a well-known money commentator, financial literacy campaigner, and educator. And we're talking about how to get to be mortgage-free or debt-free or what are some of the tips and tricks that you can use without having to live like a miser to end up paying your home off a lot faster. A lot of really practical stuff. And we encourage you, as always, to join us and find out some of these tips. If you're looking to buy your dream home or an investment property in Sydney's inner west, eastern suburbs or North Shore, my team and I can help you buy without regrets. Reach out via my website, gooddeeds.com.au. If you're looking to buy your first home, thinking of upgrading into a new one or purchasing an investment property anywhere in Australia, my team love to carefully guide you on this journey. And most importantly, get the finance right. Reach out via our website, wealthful.com.au. If you're a first-home buyer and you don't want to miss a step with this most important purchase, join me on Wednesday nights at 7.30pm Sydney time on the Home Buyer Academy Facebook page for live Q&A. Check out the website, homebuyeracademy.com.au. Every month, my team hosts a webinar on what we are seeing at the banks, the best rates, changing policy and their service. We also share the latest insights we hear and read that are impacting the property market direction. Check out wealthful.com.au. Thanks for joining us. We'd love to see you again. And remember, don't be a dumbo.